Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 247 with Pazzy Solberg. How are you, Pazzy? I'm quite good, actually, Dale. How are you? Good, mate. Good. Now, I must thank you. You've uh, recently moved. Very stressful. The last thing you probably want to do is a podcast. So thanks for your time today. Yeah, no worries, mate. Now, for people that don't know you, um, obviously, you are, I think, one of the gurus forefront of education at the moment. And you've got a fantastic TED talk you can go and listen to. Two years ago, I was fortunate enough to be recommended by Richard Cheatham, a good friend in the UK, your book, Let the Children Play. Um, and it really opened my eyes to so many things. And then when I read that, I realized, wow, Pazzy, what what haven't you done? You've got multiple books. You're a world-class speaker. Oh, mate, you, you are here, there and everywhere. Um, and I can't wait to dive more into that. But do you want to just paint the picture a little bit for our listeners, uh, a little bit about who Pazzy is? And obviously growing up in Finland, you're now in Australia. Um, I don't want to steal your story, but do you want to sort of paint the picture for listeners that may not know you? Yeah, sure. It's easy, um, easy to do. Yeah, I was, um, I was born in Finland to a family of teachers, so that that's what gave me this passion to to work with young people and teach. And so I was, um, uh, I was a mathematics and science teacher. That was my first job in in one of the high schools in Helsinki, Finland. But then the life took me to, um, you know, I've been always following the opportunities. I've been fortunate to be in the right right place at the right time and so it it's uh, it quickly took me to the international work so um i spent a, a, a number of years in the united states in different different education jobs uh i lived in italy also uh, working in the euro in european space in in education and uh did my phd at the same same time over there so i've been kind of a blending i guess the uh the, if there are any secrets in my my life and and my career, it's that I've been blending like a practice and policy and research and international look. Like I'm I'm looking at these things from a very different angles and and try to understand make sense what's happening in a very complex space called education. And uh, that's not what uh, everybody does. So there there are significantly less people. Uh, with uh, my type of background, and I guess that this has given me a, a different different way to look at you know some of these things that I've been writing about, like a letter to children play and the Finnish education, and now here in Australia. That um, that you know I've been very very fortunate also to be here now almost four years. Uh, former Minister Adrian Piccoli uh, invited me here uh, kindly, and uh, again a good example of this uh, you know being in the right place at the right time. And so so you know that's that's you know I have. I'm I'm one of one of those guys who don't have you know I did never had a kind of a master plan of you know doing this and doing that I just uh, um, you know walk into the space and uh, sometimes uh, if you're lucky you kind of uh, see doors open and uh, green lights uh, and I go there. I think you've been extremely modest there because luck luck only allows occurs if you allow it to happen. I feel and do you, do you think like what you just said there, Pazzy, that because you haven't had sort of a, a, a end goal or a big plan of what you want to do. And by going with the flow, you open the door to so many different opportunities that it has led you all around the world and where you are now. Yeah. I think, you know, the basic things, yeah, my students often young people ask me that. So um, uh, what does it take to do something like myself and some others have done in education? Like, uh, like I have a, have a little bit larger microphone internationally than others. And I always tell people that, 
you know, if you can choose, if you have options, go and teach, go and work in a school for a while, because nothing is more valuable than understanding how the schools work and, and what it is to be a teacher and, and, you know, work with the kids and, you know, understand all these uh, strange things that ha happens within the school building. Um, and, and, you know, that, ha that has been my foundation. That I, I wouldn't be here without, um, without really choosing to teach for a number of years in the, in, in, in the beginning. I wouldn't have, you know, these these opportunities to work in the in the kind of a high level policies in in Finland or internationally without this teaching experience. So, so I think, yeah, you're right that you know you know part of that is a, it's a, just a coincidence and, and good luck. But but then there there is a there is a kind of a thing that you need to be you need to be an expert on something. And if you don't, you know, those people who spend their lives at the universities, for example, or any workplace like a, all your life, you don't, you know, a lot about those things that you do there, but then you miss many other things. And in my life, I've met so many people who call themselves educa education experts, uh, saying that they understand how schools work and how to change schools or how to change the systems, who have never, ever stepped in the classroom, <laughs> you know, after they left the classroom as a student. Oh. And I said, are you sure that you really understand, you know, how these things go, that you may understand a lot of, about many, many things. But, you know, this, and this is what I want to tell you, you know, if there's any young person listening to this, that if you want to, you know, if you want to have a larger arena globally to work in education and have an influence, make sure that you take a few years and, and just, Go and teach in a school and be humble and, and try to learn, try to understand what it is. And then whatever you do afterwards, it, it, be, it will be much more easier and more, more impactful to do it that way. Mm, oh, very true. And, and I know I've taught all around the world and, and had the fortune to speak around the world as well, Pazzy, with I think traveling as a whole is one of the most level up ways to learn anything, different cultures, different situations, different ways of living. But then you go into different schools, the way they learn, the way they do everything. Um, how impactful has that been for you? The, you know, the, the places you've spoken, the places you've worked around, you mentioned so many at the start to shape the person you are now and sort of the, the views you have on the world and education. It's, it's very, very important. You, you probably don't know this, and I'm, I'm sure that your listeners don't, don't know this, but when I, I spent five years um, uh, working with the World Bank in Washington, D.C., in education, so I, my title was the Senior Education uh, Specialist, so it's a, it's a kind of education-based uh, uh, job. And what the bank World Bank is doing is gives people like myself and, and colleagues a, a kind of a handful of countries to work uh, work in and work with so what it normally means is that you uh, you go and meet the minister and then the you know all these uh, officials there and try to understand what's happening in education i was the and people still say that i was the only one only bank staff um in education who you know rather than doing this said that i want to teach i, I went to the minister's office and said can i go and give, give me a school um, where there would be kids around, you know, 10 to 15 years old. And I want to I work there for a day just to understand what it is. And, and, you know, that is the thing when you really, really get an idea what this, what the school systems are, you know, what's happening there. And I remember in, you know, I did this in a number of probably, probably 15, 20 different countries. And every time when I walked out from the school, I said that I learned more, much more about the school and the whole education culture in the country that I would never hear from the minister or his or her <laughs> her experts because you know the kids tell the truth, 
and you got, <laughs> I could always hear that you know what they did, but not not only that, but also what they were not doing, like things that were not present in their in their lives in a school, or what were even banned that you you can do uh, something like this. Those things you you rarely hear from from adults and and uh, authorities who often want to show you you know tell you only, only the kind of acute things. So so you know teaching teaching in in the grassroots level has been and continues to be a very important part of my. Uh, my professional identity and w- what I've been doing. Mm, I think what you just said there, adults will tell you what they want you to know. Whereas kids, if you want to know anything, Pazzy, even if you don't want to know it, they'll tell you the honest truth. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So true. <laughs> uh, so obviously now you're in Australia um, in a beautiful part in New South Wales, fantastic life, like to live and everything like that. How different was it to where you grew up in Finland? Um, obviously, different part of the world, uh, completely different season, a little bit colder in Finland or no. Um, what was what, what have you noticed similar between Australia uh, and Finland growing up? Yeah, of course, I cannot, I cannot compare to this growing up experience. But I, as you said, I grew up in a northern part of Finland in a small village. Um, it's a very, very small village where my father was a uh, head of the school, a primary school. So, you know, that automatically gave me a kind of a special role in this community. Everybody where, you know, they took their hats off when they saw me because I was a, the principal's, uh, principal's son. But there's, you know, what I remember is that there's a lot of freedom and, uh, uh, you know, a lot of trust and the com- community kind of took care of the everybody like i i felt like i'm everybody's child and i'm i'm speaking to you from the uh, beautiful small village i would call it lennox head here northern northern rivers in new south wales and i you know i had the same feeling here that when i walk mm. there i've been here here just a couple of weeks but you know i walk there nobody knows me but they still you know they still you know take their hats off and <laughs> say how, how you how you going mate and it's like all right you know i, I never had this in sydney <laughs> that there's this kind of a same sense of you know, belonging, beginning to belong to the community and people are, you know, they don't ask you where you came from. Just like in my my, my childhood, the people didn't ask who you are or where you came from, what, what are you doing? It's always like, if you're here, you're part of the community. And I have the same same folk, form, a woman, a kind of a safe feeling here that I always carry with me from my childhood and, and who that really defined a lot who I am and what I became as well to have this idea of you know I'm, I'm, this is free and I'm, I can enjoy the nature and you know people are taking care of you I have the same uh, same feeling here in the community not so much in Sydney you know Sydney big cities are um, you know it's a rough place it's a different rules of life you have to you, you can be safe there but you have to have a completely different different mindset but here it's like a, I you know I find myself often here feeling feeling the same way I felt in my childhood you know this is safe and I have a little two little boys here that I'm raising raising now and this is what I want to give them the same feeling that just go out there and you know these people will most likely they will take care of you and just you know if you get in trouble just go go to somebody and ask for help that's exactly how I grew up Mm, and and I do love that and for people listening it's uh if you are international uh Pazzy's right near Byron Bay, obviously one of the most desirable places in Australia, and it is a lovely part of the world if you want to go there. And like you just said then, feeling part of the community, feeling connected, feeling accepted. Um, Play is obviously, and I talk about this in all the work I do and everything, Pazzy, but play is one of the strongest ways we form our social circles. It allows us to make those connections. Um, I talk a lot about obviously how important play is for kids. And I think we're seeing that the evidence of the lack of play over the last two years of the pandemic, but also I'm probably seeing more now 
the lack with adults, you know, that they've sort of that joy has been whacked out of them from the stress and pressure of being locked down and financial issues and uh, social isolation, whatever. I can keep going on with it, but how important is play not only for kids, but for adults? I, I think it's, it's equally important for us adults than it is for kids. I, th- I think the difference is really that, um, and, you know, I've been often, often answering this exactly the same question that you ask about why what why is why is play so important for children and i i, I tend to say that you know this is a, it's a wrong question because play as i see it is a human right it's a children's right um formally and informally as well but i i think it should be also the same same thing with with adults that we i, I think we too often uh, and i probably see this more here in australia than um and in the united states than in in finland or nordic countries that that we adults we tend to think that you know play is something you are you do or you are allowed to do when the real work is done, and it, it, it tells a lot. You know, if somebody tells me that you know play is what I do when when there's nothing else to do or when I have done like all my duties or whether it's a, it's a study or work or something like this, whereas I think we should be thinking that you know play is I, I play when I really want to get something done. That if, if I if I need to kind of invent something or figure out if I need to solve the problem, kind of difficult thing in my work or, or at home or something, you know, play is something that I do. But people don't think like this. They they kind of stick with this same same old mindset of you know trying to work hard. Hard work is the thing that you know gets you there. Where I I, I, I should say that both at school here and uh, among adults, we should think like. You, you know, play hard and you get more things done because it, it does so many, so many different things. So, so I, you know, I spend a lot of time here during, during my time to try to help people to, particularly adults to understand that, you know, play is not something you do when there's nothing else to do or, or when there's a space for that, but play is that, you know, play is learning, play is work. That's something that helps you in so many ways to see things in the different ways. And, you know, it helps you to, you know, feel better. When you feel better, you are able to do things in a, in a different way. So, you know, the first thing we need to do, Dale, is to to change the way we think about this thing, <laughs> this, yes. this whole play thing. And the, then the second thing is to make sure that we have time to play and do these things. But it's a, it's a much more easier and uh, straightforward than most people actually think. Mm, you've made it you've made it sound very easy there but like there's so many barriers that people set up and and one thing i like to talk about is set play dates in your calendar to break things up particularly in the workplace because we know that when you're playing you're more creative um you see a different side of people as well that you know that's really important when you're working with people that you can see a different side of them particularly in stress pressure situations that the real side of them comes out when they're playing and you see their qualities and strengths so why are there so many barriers why are people so reluctant to you know read your literature that backs all of this up what why are there there so many barriers i think we we kind of a we kind of a crawl out of like Ken Robinson always say that school is educating us out of creativity and out of this, you know, using your imagination and mind and into this kind of a rational thinking that, you know, most kids here in Australia and in Finland, many other places, you know, what what kids learn in the school that, you know, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you're wrong or, or you screw up, you fail in something. 
um, or you make a mistake. And, and, and that's something where the, you know, part of this power of play is exactly in this experience that, that you know, play, play forces you to make mistakes. Play invites you to do things that you've never done before, you know, try new things. And almost always when you try new things, you make a mistake, you don't succeed. And that's where you where you kind of learn um, learn those things. So I, you know, I would say that, it, you know, I wouldn't blame any particular school or t- t- let alone a teacher on this. But you know, this culture of education uh, and including higher education that we have is, you know, is educating, you know, much of this uh, this kind of a child, um, you know, childlike mindset that we have out of us. And we grow into this this adult mode that you know everything has to be perfect and and you, you you know you're the best if you never make mistakes and if you always know how things are. Whereas I think we should be, you know, many of many of the workplaces uh, are expecting uh, a different type of people. You know, they they value people who are exactly like kids that you know they can try and experiment and explore and and fail and learn from the failures and do, do it again. This is exactly what play is a kind of a natural place to do that. So, so that's why, again, going back to your earlier question, I think play for us adults and for the, you know, almost all the workplaces is a, is a really important thing to, you know, try to bring back those things that we were, we were educated out, out of earlier. Out of, yeah. So that we, we can, yeah, that we can benefit from those important things uh, in life. Yeah, and just listening to what you're saying there, that vulnerability is one of the biggest skill sets that people desire now, particularly in leaders. Um, but what we're seeing is kids, particularly in schools, they're too scared to try something new because they don't want to fail at it. They don't want to be judged. They don't want to be put under the microscope of what other people will think. But what we really need to be doing is allowing that to occur because play allows you to be vulnerable. Vulnerable allows you to open new doors, build your confidence and so on. Um, It's like a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because like, as you said, at school, we're encouraging kids to play um, at a certain age until they get a bit old, then we stop them. But that's when we need them to keep playing because the stress and anxiety of what they're trying to achieve in test scores and results, you don't get those in real life. And then you go to the workplace, Pazzy, and we want people to be creative. We want them to be adaptable. We want them to be able to work as a team, but they don't know how to because they're too busy competing for test scores. Like I know I've got a bit of a rant here, but it's not, it's not working, is it? Exactly, yes. And, you know, some people often ask me, Ask him about the my experience in Finland, what Finland does. And, you know, this is something that mo- most people here probably don't know is that that you know my old home country, Finland, is the place. I think it's the only country that has a national celebrates a national day of failure. So we have a national really? failure day. Yeah, that is that. I think it's October thirteenth or something like this every year. And you know, it's, it's something that is dedicated to celebrating the exactly these things that you know, trying things, uh, being creative, using your imagination, and and figuring out the kind of a better ways to do these things. And then you know, w- when you fail, you kind of a celebrate that because that that is the opportunity for you to you know understand what you did and and improve uh, what you've done. On October thirteenth, if if I, I think that's the date. When you wake up in the morning in Finland, the radio before the main news in the morning, they say that remember today is the national day of failure. And you know, many people take it to the schools and workplaces and kind of dedicate a moment to that kind of importance and the power of of um, you, you, you know learning from 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 failures. And it's I, I think it's an important um, it's an important opportunity for schools uh, here as well because it doesn't cost anything. It's a, it's a kind of a free thing to do and it can change the whole 
way the students and teachers see the the life and their work and learning in the school because you know if if they're encouraged to try things and fail and then learn from the failures um, that's a, that's a really positive power another example of this is that many years ago i was um, i was advising and working with the the provincial or state minister of education in Canada, in one of the provinces in Canada. And I remember this meeting, he invited me to speak to the, all the school principals. So there was like 600 principals in a room uh, and he gave the, the opening address to the, all the school principals. And what, what he was basically saying in the beginning is that I want you to report to me much more about failures, not just your success. And then he spoke, his whole speech was about that. that. Basically, he was saying that if I only hear the kind of a success stories from you in your schools, you know, what worked and how wonderful this was. Uh, I am, this is what he said, and I'm, I'm left with the kind of a idea that you're probably not trying, you're not trying hard enough to do something di- different. Like, you know, that you do things that are safe to do. You, you do only do things that lead to success. And, you know, this is exactly the point also in this Finnish uh, culture of you know cele- celebrating the failure bringing the failure to the kind of lives of people and schools so if there's anybody listening here who is a kind of excited about doing something in this way in your own school or workplace just introduce your own uh, failure day once a year or so and and you know build a festival around that thing ask people to come with a story kind of a crazy stories what happened when they tried to do something and they failed and how that helped them to improve or solve the problem so it's such a simple again free basic idea but very few people actually do that i like listening here i absolutely love that i think it's fantastic because if we allow students in primary school, high school to do that and celebrate their, they're not really, if you look at them as failures, they're failures, but they're really lessons because the next time you do it, you do it better and you improve. That's how we grow. That's how we become better humans. Um, but then obviously do that in the workplace as well, because so many workplaces are cutthroat and it's not about working as a team. Who's done this? Who's done that? Well, why not change the narrative? Like you've just said there and celebrate it. And if it, if that allows people to share something that you know they have, they don't share with someone. It'll that'll build stronger yeah. connections as well, really, won't it? Particularly with adults. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I I, I love that. So, Pazzy, I'm going to put you on the spot here. It's October the 13th. What are you bringing to the table? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. You know, it's a good example of this uh, risky proposals is to you know if if you if you're principal or or manager or leader somewhere, just take this idea of failure, failure festival. You know, it can be a crazy idea. If you if it fails, you can learn from that at least and, <laughs> and, and try to do try to do something something different. But you know what I mean is that that you as if you if you lead if you if you're head of the school, you need to show with your own example what you speak because it doesn't make any sense that. For example, this Canadian minister that he just speaks about these things. You have to behave in in the same way. You have to do things that people say that you know this is a crazy idea. He has never done anything like this before, because other, otherwise it doesn't really um, lead uh, lead anywhere. I I know that there are many people who may say that you know why should we cele- celebrate failure? Because you know who who wants to have a failing kind of a bad results or, or failures? But that's not the point. 
to 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 have have those as a, as a outcomes or results but the failure failure is something that we need to understand that you know most important things in life and this is what you if you look at the history of inventions they are they are almost always a result of you know trying and, and trying and failing and trying and failing and, and then get something else i know the people who who were behind the angry birds game and most people know um uh, what game. the angry birds the, yeah the finnish game and you, you know, one of these guys who was actually designing this game, the chief designer of the game, said that how many versions do you think we had before we had a breakthrough in the markets in this Angry Birds? And I said maybe three or four. So 52. The version that went to the market was a version number 52. So they tried 51 times wow. and failed every time to get it through. Yeah. And then number 52 and it was there. They kind of realized that you know this is how it works. And and again, you know this this is a kind of a mindset that we should have uh, with our young people who go to school. Is that you know if they try to do something and it fails, don't put it aside and say that teacher give me something else. This was too hard. You know, stay with that thing and try to change it a little bit and try again and then improve it. But you know how many kids in our schools have learned or have been taught to do that? Very few. Because, you know, if you're going to do something, what you normally hear is that you're dumb. This is too hard for you. So let me give you something that yeah. is easier R rather than say that, okay, let's, let's, you know, go to somebody and, you know, talk to your friend up here and, and try to see how you can see the same thing in a different way and, and do something. But, you know, that's what we, we, we need much more kids and young people in the future who have this, you, you know, this faith and believe in this person number 52 uh, and and perseverance to you know go and try and and build this thing before uh, we get things done. You know we don't need those people that that are like a throw everything away after first failure and say that you know I, I I'm not good enough to do this. Yeah, it's too hard. And and what when you're sitting there talking to me right there, Pazzy, one of the biggest things is we want and I get a lot of calls and oh, we can you do a session on resilience? We want resilient kids. I'm like. Yeah, I can, but what are you actually doing in the schools? Are you spoon-feeding them exactly how to learn, what to think, what to do? Um, are you putting them in levels where, you know, they may be graded upon their standards? Like all these different things that we're creating that really we're not allowing to be resilient because they don't get the opportunity to try those things. And if you want to call it failures or wrong choices or whatever, that's the only way you're going to grow. And so when something bad happens, you know how to deal with it. And that, that's essentially what it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that you know that's that's what we should have in our schools uh, much more, much less uh, these uh, uh, these stickers and and jojos and and uh, diplomas and other things, and and much more kind of encouragement that you know you can do that, you know, go and try a different different pathway, and uh, and that's I, I think that you know some of the education systems that I'm I'm seeing and looking at are kind of moving into that direction. I think all the Nordic countries are are much closer to this type of culture in the schools that they. Uh, you know, because the, the absence of the the tests and and standardized kind of a metrics in in the schools that we have here, in many other countries, they 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 have much more space. Teachers and schools much more space to really go into the space of encouraging kids and you know showing them different different alternatives and personalizing uh, their performance as well. That you know kids can create and do different things rather than asking whether each and every child is able to perform. <laughs> in the same tests, you know, exactly the oh. same way that, that very little, very little of real life actually works like that. 
Well, it's what it comes down to is we want kids to be creative. That's one of the biggest skill sets that people want as we go in life. But there's no creativity in a standardized test, is there? Not one little bit because everybody's doing exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In Finland, we say that the, the biggest uh, enemy of creativity is the standardization. This kind of again, the kind of a mindset of standardizing things and and aiming at exactly the same same outcomes. So so we probably need to do that a, a little bit in the school and education, but we should, we should do much more of this uh, personalized creative um, teaching and learning that is trying to help each and every individual to figure out what their own real passion is. Mm, correct. And allowing that to flourish. Uh, and, and that's what creativity, exactly. you know, and, and encouraging people that have different skill sets that that one size doesn't fit all. Um, and I, I think exactly what you're talking about there, Pazzy. Now, I've looked over your website a, a lot of times, but mate, you've done so much. Do you ever sit back and I know, I know you're not retired or you're still going, you've got so much to offer, but do you ever sit back and go, geez, I'm doing pretty bloody good. I've, I've had a big impact. I'm proud of myself. No, no. Well, you sure? No, that's the <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, that's the part part of the Finnish uh, mentality and um, nature is that you you know we, we are fairly humble humble people, particularly when it comes to your own um, uh, own work. And you know, it's interesting. People often ask about impact. That, that you know, what impact is your work having? Um, and it's it's very difficult. It's very difficult to say. I hear a lot of anecdotes, a lot of stories about individual teachers or principals, and you know, interestingly, a, 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 some in, some stories coming from the kids that they have read my book. You know, there was one one kid here in New South Wales uh, who was I, I think he was a twelve or something like this in a school, and 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 he wrote to me a long letter saying that I, I read your read your book let the children play that is like 450 page book it's and a massive uh, book it's massive. yeah he said that i was so, so so kind of excited about this that i decided to go to my my principal and ask for more recess in the school i said wow you know this is a kind of a 12 12 13 year old kind of an early teenager doing something like this and now he wrote back to me uh just recently a couple of months ago saying that uh the school has changed the recess schedule based on what he was asking and and, wow. and his evidence came from my book and others and i say you know if you dale you know if you really ask me to give an example of a good impact of my own work you know my stories are about these individual kids who kind of take these things seriously and go to oh. the head of the school and say that we need to change we need to we, we can do much better than this and there are, there are a number of stories in the united states and and uh, other countries where people say that I, I i heard you speaking or i read your thing or or something like this and that we have we have changed the way we do things in a community and i think that you know that's where i that's where i personally kind of silently celebrate uh, of my my work having having an impact rather than you know having an institute or statue with my <laughs> name or face somewhere I don't, I don't want to have those things but you know if people continue to get back to me with letters and and messages saying that you know your work has inspired us to to change things or do things differently even if they're minor minor little things I think that's that's where that's where my happiness comes from well, I'm, if, if people could see this video, I'm just beaming because that's incredible. Firstly, that a kid that's 12 wanted to read a 450-page book. I think that's nearly unheard of. I didn't even, I listened to it on Audible, so I'll even dob myself in there. But um, <laughs> just little little things like that, Pazzy, that's, that's amazing. And I know that's the sort of thing that keeps you going. So um, 
Letting Children Play is one of your books. Uh, you've got a number more and so many other things. Where can we find those if people are wanting to really get stuck into your great work? Yeah, I, I think probably the easiest uh, place is to just to go to this website that you mentioned, that is basisalberg.com. That is my, my non-commercial private um, thing that I keep. Um, and all the books and my other writings and uh, and also all my presentations. If I do a seminar a keynote, I always post everything there so people can can see what uh, what I have to say about those things. So I I think that that's probably the best way to um, go and find. And I'm always um, always happy to you know if you want to uh, send me an email or 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 use a Twitter or social media or something. I'm happy to you know have a chat. I always try to help people as much as I can. Well, you definitely do. Um, so if everybody listening, it's episode number 247. I'll have links that Pazzy's just mentioned there. So you can go and check that out. And I would highly recommend Let the Children Play. Um, it really opened my eyes to a number of things. And not only just for kids, but um, more than so than ever adults, you probably need to listen or read this book at the moment because, um, yeah, we need more play. We need more fun. I think the world has gone too serious. Um, and through play, we can connect and do some wonderful things. So, Hazzy, thank you so much for being not only on the show today, but being an inspiration to so many people around the world and the work you've done. Um, I know there'll be so many listeners listening now, nodding along that October the 13th, fail first or fail forward or whatever you want to call it. I think that's one thing you can take away. Let's embrace that um, because it's something we need more of. So thanks so much for your time today, Pazzy. Thank you, Dale, and thank you for doing 247 episodes. That's a big, uh, that's a big thing. So I'm, I'm sure that you're also leaving your mark uh, in the communities and your listeners. So keep on doing good things. I think we need somebody like you as well. Thanks, mate.